So listen, we've been in a we've been in a sermon series uh, called First Things. And it's been kind of interesting because if you remember the first the very first message we did was called Grieving Forward. And that was strange because that's not necessarily a hyped up message for New Year's. But, you know, we've had a lot of grief. And, you know, I wanted to mention this morning our, our good buddy Jeremy Baker, his uh, his papaw, who who really played maybe the largest role in raising him when he was a boy. His papaw passed away last night. Uh, but but, you know, here's the thing that I that I that gives me consolation. I want you to be in prayer for him and his family. Obviously, they're going to grieve from that. Uh, but the thing that gives me consolation is so many of the people that have passed on recently. What I know is that they are with Jesus. Amen. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. It also says that to live is Christ and to die is gain. And we all know that at the end of this thing, none of us are going to live in this body forever. Every, every one of us have a day coming for us. And the most important thing in our lives is that we know Jesus. And so we can celebrate when we know that these people that go on have a relationship with Jesus Christ. But be in prayer uh, for Jeremy and for his family and for all of those folks. Uh, but we talked about grieving forward. Last week we talked about a healthy separation. This week I want to talk about, may, I want to put the cookies on the bottom shelf. I had a guy tell me one time, he said, Clay, sometimes you, when you get up and preach, he said, you need to just dumb it down a little bit. He said, you need to put the cookies on the bottom shelf, all right? So I'm going to try to put some cookies on the bottom shelf before you grab a hold of it. I just want to talk about the Word of God this morning, plain and simple. Because if you're going to have first things in your life, let me put it to you like this. I thank God that every one of you come and listen to me preach on Sunday mornings. I, I really appreciate it. But my message that you get on Sunday morning is not probably going to do a whole lot for your life. It'll do a little bit. There'll be some transformation. Don't get me wrong. I believe that my messages can do a little bit. But there is nothing that will radically revolutionize and change your life than you getting in the Word. Word of God for yourself. And if there's one thing that I could do is if, if, if I could get all of the people in the body of Christ to be in the Word of God and let the Word of God be in, in them, and, and, and if, if, if that was the only thing that I could do, I would, be, I would be happy with what I've done. Amen. So I want to talk about the Word of God. Let me, I'm going to do something real weird. I just had something in my heart this morning that I wanted to do just get, to get people excited and stuff like that. But let me ask you this question real quick. Is there anybody in here, you kind of been like, you know what, I'd, I'd like a Bible, but I don't really know what to get. I'd kind of like a study Bible. I don't have a study Bible. Anybody don't have a study Bible, but would probably would kind of like one. I got one dude. I got two dudes. Anybody? Right here's one. All right. Force, help me out. Somebody just pass them out one by one. Beto back there, you got Stephen right there. You see, you got, you got to put hands up, guys, you know what I'm saying, and, and, this, and this young man over here. Now, them's nice Bibles, y'all. Like, if I was hoping nobody would raise their hands so I could just keep them because I like Bibles. I really like Bibles, uh, but, uh, I mean, I got a Bible addiction. You see my stack of Bibles at the house, you'll be like, man, this boy's got problems. He's got real Bible issues. Uh, but I love, I love the Word of God. The Word of God transformed my life. So that's what I want to talk to you. I hope y'all enjoy that. Those are really nice Bibles, right? It's like a $60 value right there. But you get, in that, you get in that word, it'll lose something for you. Listen, if somebody else in here, you say, I don't have a Bible, I'd like one, and you can't afford one, get up with me. We'll get you a Bible. We'll figure out a way to get you a Bible. But you need a Bible. How many people brought their physical Bibles to church this morning? I know that's not a cool thing anymore, right? We'll get you some bonus spiritual points for bringing your Bible uh, this morning. Um, 
But, uh, you know, that's not a very cool thing. Everything's digital now. You're like, Clay, you put the scriptures on the screen, man. We don't even need a Bible. There's something about having your own physical copy of the Bible. You know where it's at on the page. You see it in your mind. You can mark in it if you want to. There's something about having your own physical copy of the Bible. You need one. You need a study Bible at home. You need a Bible that you can pack with you and move around. But I want to talk about the Word of God this morning. Is that all right? Y'all good this morning? So... You know, here's the thing. I remember, I remember when I first got into the Word of God. Now, you got to understand, I was talking about this uh, with Andrea the other day. Right now in our world, you could agree with me or not, but, but if you look at our world, there is so much information coming at us at a constant rate, whether it be through social media or the news. Man, there's just an influx of information. I told her the other day, we get so many prayer requests in a day and so many things that are coming in that legitimately it is very, very difficult, difficult for me to pray for all of the requests that are coming in. It's loads and loads and loads of information. Bad news after bad news. Sometimes I think people love sharing bad news. Like it's just like their favorite thing to do. And in our world where there's so much false information you don't know what to believe and there's a constant movement of bad news towards you you need something you need the good news of God's word just to keep you sane and to keep your mind in the right place because if you listen to enough lies in a week's time it's going to begin to contaminate your soul you're going to find yourself getting disconnected depressed anxious fearful and all of those things begin to burden you down and the only thing that is going to give you the reset that you need is to get a fresh bath in the washing of the water of the Word of God. Anybody amen me this morning? There's something about opening that Bible during those moments and hearing the truth and letting the truth penetrate and pierce through all the lies that you've heard during, during a week and cut away those things that are beginning to bring defilement in your life. I can remember, I, I want to give somebody else a challenge this morning. I remember, I've, got, I've had buddies, I had buddies that were atheists years ago and, and I sat down and I talked to them about Jesus after I got saved and man they just threw up every argument every argument and I'd bring something back and then they'd bring something back and we got into this argument and I finally looked at them I said have you ever read any of the Bible well no I said well I tell you what you're sitting there basing your, your stance and your belief on, the, on something that really, in essence, you don't even know. You've not sought it out for yourself. You know that Jesus gave you the promise that if you search for Him with all of your heart, you will find Him. If you open your heart and say, Lord, I'm going to search for you. I'm going to seek for you. You will find him. He is there waiting for you to seek. He says, if you'll draw near to him, he will draw near unto you. God is there waiting on you to listen. He's waiting on you to turn your heart. And I said, well, listen, I'm going to give you a challenge. You just read through the New Testament at your own pace with an open heart. You can try to reject it all you want to. I'm just asking you to read through the New Testament with an open heart. And sure enough, two years later, he calls me. He's like, dude, I don't know. Something's wrong with me. I was like, what is it, buddy? I, he said, I don't know. I guess I'm convicted. Yeah. He was mad about it. I was like, well, praise God. Uh, that's great, man. What happened? Well, you told me to read the Bible. I've been reading through the New Testament. I finally got through with it. And as I'm reading it, it's just like something was happening. Do you know that even when you read the Word of God, it's a supernatural book? It's not like any other book. You could read through the entire New Testament and say, I barely understand what I just read. But it got into your spirit. It did something on the inside of you because the Word of God is not just the letter, but Jesus said it is spirit and it is life. It's a supernatural book. 
There's something behind it. The Holy Spirit is the author of this book. It's not just the very letters on the page, but there's life behind it that moves. And I can remember, man, when I was about 19, 20 years old, I was in college. I was so hungry, so thirsty for the truth. Had no idea what truth was. I was listening to all these professors. I remember one of my professors in college, he got up and is the first guy I'd ever heard stand up before a group of people and just say, I don't believe there's a God. There is no God as far as I'm concerned. And we were reading all these philosophers, Nietzsche and Descartes and all these you know, old philosophers who were enlightened, you know what I'm saying? And the more I read them, the more depressed that I got. I thought, my Lord, if that's all there is to this, and this comes to an end, and I'm, I'm like Paul ended up saying, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. We got nothing to lose if there's no judgment, if there's nothing in the afterlife. But I was still empty. I felt like life was meaningless. And I remember finally, my dad had bought me a Bible when I was about 11 years old that I'd probably never opened up. And I had it. And I started opening that thing up and reading it. And as I read it, man, my heart began to get convicted. Things began to change just as I read that scripture. And it led me on this journey, on this path until 11 months later after I cracked open that book and started putting it into practice that Jesus showed up and met me and transformed my life. Life and set me free forever. And here I am today because of the Word of God. Because of the Word of God. Because of the Word of God. Now here's what Jesus says about the Word of God. John 8, 31 and 32. It says, Jesus said to those Jews who believed Him, if you abide in, now this can be translated if you continue in or if you hold on to my Word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. I shared this a couple of weeks ago. But Jesus has given you a promise here. He says that if you hold on to His words, He says He gives you a litmus test for whether or not you're a disciple. True disciples and followers of Jesus Christ, they continue in His Word, they abide in His Word, and they hold on to His Word. And He says those of you, He's talking to religious leaders who He says are enslaved to sin. I don't know about you, but there was a time in my life when I was a slave to sin. And see, when I began to get in the Word and I continued in the Word, even when I failed, even when I struggled, even when I couldn't get myself back up, I stayed in the word. I chose to abide in the word and Jesus gives you a promise. If you continue, you will come into a knowledge. And he's not just talking about head knowledge. He's talking about experiential knowledge of the truth who is Jesus Christ. And he says, when you have that encounter, it will set you free. In other words, he's saying, you keep reading the Bible and putting it into practice. Eventually it's going to bring you into a living encounter with a living God and it will make you free from the inside out. Man, that's a promise that's worth putting to the test. Amen. Jesus goes a little bit deeper. He says in John 14, 23, Jesus answered and said to them, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Let me tell you something. Salvation is an amazing thing. Do you know that salvation is not something that happens because when you were 10 years old, you went to a Baptist gathering and went to the front of the altar and prayed? That doesn't necessarily mean that you're saved, right? There is a, there, but when you're truly saved, something changes. The living God actually comes and makes your body His home. He makes your body His home. He transforms your heart. Let me tell you something. Forrest right there, I know him. The other day I was in here walking around. I was by myself. I was messing with lights. I was doing, I was doing things up there. I was putting scriptures on the computer. And a dude walks in. And as soon as it, he walked in, I don't know how I knew, but I knew it was Forrest. When people come into the room, if I walk into the room, you know I'm in the room, don't you? If, if you walk into the room, I know you're in the room. Let me tell you something. Do you think that if Jesus walks into the room, you would certainly know that he was in the room, wouldn't you? Don't, don't sit around and wonder 
about whether when Jesus walks into your life, when Jesus walks into the room, you know that Jesus has walked into the room. And Jesus is inviting you to a place where He says, you can begin a relationship with Me, but it begins with My Word. And if you will keep My words, you will be experience the love of God the Father, and we will come and we will make our home with you. Man, that is a promise that I want to keep. I don't know about you. I, I, want, I want that promise in my life. Lord Jesus, I'm going to keep Your words because I want this vessel to be Your home. I want the Holy Spirit to look at my body and look at my mind and look at my life and say, I want to live there. That is a home with nice furnishings and and it looks cozy, I think I will dwell right there. That's what I want the Holy Spirit to say. Amen. And so Jesus comes in. And see, here's, I'm going to give you a few things this, this morning. How do we abide in and keep God's Word? Okay. Number one, I'm going to give you about four things here on how we abide in and keep God's Word. The first thing is I've got to make it the foundation of my life. God's Word has got to be my foundation. Everything else in my life is built on the foundation of God's Word in my life, whether it comes to marriage or parenting or pastoring or my money and my finances, everything that I do in my life, the structure of it is going to be healthy because it's built on the foundation of God's Word. Now, a lot of times, listen to this, a lot of times you don't see the foundation. You almost never see the foundation to a house. But if that thing is strong and the structure is good, it's because it's got a solid foundation underneath. And when you see a house breaking down and crumbling, why? It's because under it, the foundation is not solid. The foundation is not strong. And lives break down because of this very reason. In Matthew 7, Jesus said it like this, verse 24. He said, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. He's saying this person doesn't just listen to the word. He doesn't just come in on Sunday and say, well, that's a good message. He actually goes out, takes the word, puts it into practice, and his house is built on the rock and he has a solid foundation. Then notice what he says in verse 25. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Now, if 2020 has taught us anything, folks, it's that storms are going to come. Somebody amen me this morning. There are going to be difficult times. Your family is going to go through difficult times. This nation is going to go through turmoil. You're going to experience pain. You're going to experience loss. There are going to be storms that come in your life. There's no way around it. And we cannot sit back and get into that position where we get angry every time something difficult happens because Jesus already forewarned us that in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. In other words, yeah, you're going to go through hard times, but I am with you through these hard times and I will anchor you in the reality of eternal life at the end so that you can make it through and stay strong. But he says this, if you do not have the foundation of God's word, the storms are going to come, the winds are going to blow and you're going to have a crash and your life is going to fall apart. And how many lives do we see? They fall apart because when they go through hard times, they don't have the foundation of God's word. But he says, look, man, when you build your life on the foundation of God's word, you're going to go through difficult stuff. And while after the winds blow, your house is still standing and people look at your life and it bears witness to the goodness and the glory of God. That nothing ultimately can take us out because we have the foundation of God's word. But here is the big issue is that even what I found out in my time. Now, obviously, the world doesn't build their life on the foundation of God's word, do they? But I believe that oftentimes even Christian people. Don't build their life on the foundation of God's Word. You say, well, Clay, what do they build their life on then? What, what kind of foundation? The first foundation, let me give you this first one. Put, 
point A, right, in, in, in faulty foundations is popular culture. Popular culture. A lot of people build their lives on the foundation of popular culture. Basically, it's whatever the world's doing. And I don't know if you realize this or not, but when you get on social media regularly, there's a certain trend to things. There's a movement of ideas. There's a movement of beliefs that slowly but surely just pulls you to, to believe differently than you once did. And, and it's just popular. Everybody's doing it. It's currently what everybody believes. And it feels good so you can just sort of surrender to it and go with the flow. Whatever kind of music you're listening to, whatever they're singing about, you just go with what. Why? Because it's popular and it feels good and everybody's doing it. It and we go with that flow. But see, the Bible actually teaches us that there are going to be winds, there's going to be waves of deception. And the only way that you're going to be able to absolutely keep yourself from conforming to the world is if your mind is renewed by the Word of God. In other words, he's saying when you address culture, when I address culture, let me tell you something. I'm not getting my talking points from any news media channel. I'm not getting my talking points from what Cardi B sung last week. I'm not getting any of my talking points from popular culture. When it comes to how we deal with social issues, I'm going to go to the letters that the apostles wrote. When I need direction and wisdom and decisions that I need to make in my life, I'm going to go to the book of Proverbs to what Solomon had to say about wisdom. When it comes to how we should deal with issues of injustice in our world, you know what? I'm going to go to the Old Testament. I'm going to read the prophets about how they addressed injustice. And when it comes to who God actually is, I'm going to go to the Gospels and I'm going to read what Jesus has to say about it. All of my talking points are going to come from the Word of God. I'm not going to let the world train me and conform me to say the things that are, that are currently popular because ultimately they're going to drag you into a place where all of a sudden your foundation is no good. You're not going to be able to stand the test of time. Let me tell you something. Popularity is going to come and it's going to go. This year we're going to see people saying crazy things about crazy stuff and 10 years from now it'll be a foregone conclusion. It'll be, it'll be washed away. There are people saying things right now that they believe they, we need to hold to. We need to believe this. And it's the craziest stuff you've ever heard. And in 10 years, you won't hear it anymore. Because these things are like the, they're winds. They're waves tossing you to and fro, trying to get you uprooted out of the truth, trying to devalue God's Word. Now, Paul told Timothy this. I like this because it speaks to me. Timothy was a young pastor like myself. He was preaching. He was pastoring the dudes in Ephesus. And he says this, Paul says to Timothy, In the presence of God in Christ Jesus, in chapter 4, who will judge the living and the dead and in view of His appearing in His kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the Word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Do you realize that in our day and time right now, if you want to, you can find almost anybody. You can find a podcast to tell you whatever you want to hear. It's out there. Information is available. But this is why if you don't know the word of God for yourself, you will fall for anything. 
Because any person that gets up and stands up and pray, I could come in here probably and preach heresy this morning and get several of you to accept it. Why? Because you don't have a grounding in God's word enough to know whether or not I'm speaking the truth or a lie. The good news is this. The good news is that if you're truly a worshiper of Jesus Christ, the scripture gives you this promise that you have the spirit of truth abiding in you. And when somebody gets up and begins to speak lies and errors in the book of 1 John, it said you've got an anointing in you that can discern the difference between truth and error. It can discern, is this man speaking on behalf of God? Is this the Spirit of God or is this some sort of demonic teaching that is trying to get me to stray away? But see, some people have embraced their sin over God and what they want is not the truth. They want somebody who will give them what their itching ears desire to hear because it suits what they're currently doing in their life, right? Everybody good with me this morning? I know I tried to put them on the bottom shelf, but I know we put it up about mid-shelf right then. We're going to continue anyway. So the devil knows this. Let me tell you something. The devil knows this right now. Right now, something that's going on in our world that's kind of interesting to me is how they're trying to do away with the language of gender, right? They don't want to call anybody father or mother or son or daughter. And that's God's design, right? Now, there's a very specific reason, and I believe that it's a demonic lie that is behind that argument to try to bring that. Let me tell you something the devil knows. The devil knows that the greatest resistance against the powers of darkness is a godly family, a godly mother and a godly father who raises godly children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and do not allow the world system and the current music and the current trends and TV to train their children, but they train their children in the word of God. The devil knows that's the most powerful thing. What he wants to do is destroy the family from the inside out and keep you from raising your children in the word of God. That's his main goal right now. And he's doing a pretty good job of it, actually. And even in churches, we're starting to slowly devalue the Word of God to say it's not that big of a deal. I mean, because there's some things in there that are weird and we don't totally understand. So we should probably just shift that to the side because a lot of people don't like the Bible anymore. Let me tell you something. I don't care if the entire world starts disliking the Bible to the point that they will burn it. I'm hanging on to the Word of God because I believe according to Jesus, it's going to stand, as they say, when the world is on fire. And I'm going to go down believing what Jesus had to say as opposed to what some overeducated PhD professor said that is educated above his own intelligence. Amen. All right. Somebody say, calm down a little bit, Clay. B, let me give you B. So so we don't want to build on popular culture. It's It's going to go crazy over and over again. B, we don't want to build on tradition. A lot of times people, I'm telling you, southeastern Kentucky, people build on, I know people who have never read the scriptures, but they will fight you tooth and toenail over what Beulah's, Aunt Beulah's pastor said when they were a little boy. Listen, just because Aunt Beulah's pastor said it when you was a little boy does not mean it's the word of God. There are traditions that we hang on to that honestly have nothing to do with Scripture whatsoever. And people will fight you not over what the Bible says, but over the way we do things in church. And we got to get to the point where we don't fight and argue and bicker over the way we do things in church. If we need to have a discussion about what God's Word says, we need to have a discussion about what God's Word says. But in Mark 7 and 8, here's what Jesus said. He says, you have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. 
I pastored a church one time where I preached a lesson. I, I, there was a certain thing that they, that they were believing, and I, I taught a couple of lessons, and I went to the Scripture and broke it down verse by verse. And when I got done teaching after a couple of weeks, a lady come up to me and said, I just, never, I just never heard that. We've never taught it that way. We've never believed it that way. And I said, well, what do you think? She said, yeah, I see it. It's right there in the Scripture, but we just ain't going to do it. <laughs> yeah. I said, well, I got no response. I mean, I don't, if it's right there and I just taught it and you said it, but you just think, I mean, what can you do? But there's a place where people literally will hold on to their traditions at the cost of truth. At the cost of truth. And you got to get to a place where you don't build on the fact. Tradition can be good, but when tradition controls, people want to fight over the way things are done rather than say this is what Scripture says and we're going after it. Let me tell you something. Some sacred cows need to die. And if I find anything in this church, there, I remember when we were building this church, and I don't know if a guy was addressing us or not, but I remember listening to a pastor preach here in the community. And when we were building this church, we had just gotten done with it, and he was, he was getting up preaching, and he preached. And in his message, he said, he said this. He said, you know what? There's some people out here that are building churches that don't even look like churches. And I'm thinking, where's that at in the Bible? Like, is there a, is there, is there a chapter and verse of how you're supposed to build your church? Because, listen, again, we know this. That's tradition. A church is not a building. A church is the people of God that are filled with the Spirit of God who have chosen to worship God freely. And so we have to set aside things that are just human tradition and say this is what God's Word says. That's what we're going off of. And everything else is peripheral. Everything else is set. I'm not building my foundation on what tradition says. I'm not getting up and preaching on churches who do things differently than me. Somebody amen me. There's all kinds of good churches that don't look like this one and they're preaching the Word this morning. And I thank God for them. There are churches in this community preaching the word this morning. You know what? They're on our team. We're on their team. We pray for them. We support them. Amen. C, let me give you the third one, is reason. Some people build their foundation on reason. And literally, what, kind, of, kind of what reason means when it comes to Scripture is, let me think through this first. I'll give you my opinion in just a minute. Somebody said, you know what? We're going to read the Bible today. We're going to turn to Second Opinions. The book, let's turn to the book of Second Opinions and... And get in that real quick. Well, see, your, your opinion ultimately has got to be submitted to what the Word of God says. And reason is a wonderful thing because, uh, let me tell you something. One man said, you know what? Christianity is a thinking man's religion. Let me tell you this. I don't think it's good to be ignorant. I think we need to study. I think we need to understand theology. I don't think it's good to be ignorant. I think we need to study. But at the end of the day, there are certain ways that we enter into reason and begin to make it the foundation that we end up reasoning away the truth. And that's what the world does in a lot of different ways. And they say, you know what? We, we, we've thought about it. We've looked at it. We've got science now. And we start redefining what marriage is. We start redefining what sexuality is. We start redefining what all of these things are in our life. And then all of a sudden, you start to realize that there are things that the Scripture is totally clear about, but we've rejected it and said, no, that's a little bit outdated. The Bible's a little bit outdated. We don't receive that anymore. Culture's changed. Things have changed. And we've entered into an enlightened stage. You know, you can look throughout history, and, and, and there, was a, there was a season in history. I talked about Nietzsche and Descartes. and I, I read these philosophers. It was during the Enlightenment. Nietzsche was the guy who coined the phrase. He said, God is dead, and we have killed him. That's what he said. 
And y'all have heard that phrase, God is dead, right? So he, he, he coined that term. And basically what he was saying is he was saying man is coming to the point where we have had now the scientific revolution. We can study all things within the material realm and ultimately we're going to get to the place where we're going to know essentially all things and we're going to be able to figure everything else out and we have no longer any need for God. That's a mythical superstition that is essentially holding human beings back. And he made that statement, God is dead and we have killed him. And when he was 50 years old, he lost his mind because he had syphilis. And on his deathbed, his last words when he looked to his mother was, Mom, I am dumb. Literally, you can look it up. And so what philosopher would you, would you follow? Would you follow a man that died on his deathbed of syphilis that said, God is dead. And in his last words, he said, Mom, I'm dumb. Or would you follow a man who died on the cross for your sins? who's been established. I mean, listen, let me tell you something. If what Jesus did was not true, do you think that it could have spread throughout the known world like it did from just 12 men? I mean, think about what Jesus has done. And, and, and really, if you dive into it, there's more and more. Really, you can find book after book, person after person, that when they dove into the facts of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, they found that they had no arguments against it. And they decided this is true. There's no way this could be a lie. And you can go in over and over and find that ultimately reason, true reason, points to God's design, points to Jesus. Now, a lot of people will say it's a popular trend in progressive Christianity. And basically, I, I've told you before, uh, there's, there's a lot of people that I listen to, right? I listen to all kinds of people. I told somebody that got on our Instagram account, I was like, don't read everybody that's on there. I just like to see what people are saying. Anybody? Anybody? And I would, I, would most, I would tell most people, don't, don't try to see what everybody's saying because you may not be able to handle it. But I like to see what people from all walks of life are saying currently in the trend. But, but see, I've got a foundation in God's Word. So I judge what I'm receiving in the world against God's Word. I don't just swallow any pill that the world offers me or what somebody else is saying. So, so I listen to what other people are saying. And one time I listened to this podcast, and I was listening to this different... And these people are professed Christians, but they were teaching things like this. And it's becoming very popular. Matter of fact, somebody uh, here in our church recently signed up to, to go on a mission trip and they asked whether or not Jesus, when he was resurrected from the dead, was his resurrection physical? And what would you say? Yes. His, if Jesus was not resurrected physically, you and I have no hope. His body was raised from the dead and glorified. And that means that we're going to live eternally in a glorified body. But there are Christians now that are teaching that Jesus' re resurrection is metaphorical. See, and that, that is actually what we would consider. That's, that's like big enough for us to say, you know what, that's wrong. We'll call that heresy, okay? Congratulations, I mean. Um, but then the, this, these same podcasters, okay, they begin to discuss, they move on to broader to topics and they talk about sexuality. Now, this one guy, is, is, he, he deems himself a scientist. He's got a PhD in this and that and this and that. And he ends up saying, you know, when we talk about sexuality and when we talk about human beings, really human beings fall on the spectrum somewhere between a chimpanzee and orangutan. Because a chimpanzee is completely monogamous and they stay with one partner for life, but then an orangutan actually is polyamorous and has many lovers. And what we find is that human beings are somewhere in that. And then they went and pushed to say this. Now for me, I stick with one woman, I'm married, I'm gonna stick, but I can't necessarily say that it's wrong for somebody to have other lovers. Can I go ahead and say something to you? The Bible makes this clear. If you have other lovers than just your spouse, you're in sin. And, 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 and I know, I know, y'all. I mean, like, I, I, I know. 
I get it. But here's the point that I'm trying to make is we live in a world that is becoming so soft that everybody's afraid to speak the truth in fear that they might offend someone. And I don't, I'm not for being rude. If you as a Christian ever slip into the place where you're rude, you need to check and see if whether or not the Holy Spirit's there. We're not trying to be rude, but we are trying to make sure that we're holding on to the truth in times when winds are blowing people totally in another direction away from Jesus Christ. And we're beginning to lay down the Word of God and we're falling into this place. Now right now, when it comes to the Bible, I actually saw a person making a deconstructionist argument. If you could put that argument up there, I kind of got it in lines of, false, the false uh, line of reasoning. And here's what they said about the Bible. They basically said this. They said, if Jesus is God's word, and let me tell you something, Jesus is God's word, isn't he? The Bible says that the word of God was with God in the beginning and the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. He is the eternal word of God. The Bible that we have is the, is the secondary penultimate word of God. This is given to us by God. It's the word of God that points us to the ultimate word of God. From front to back, Genesis to Revelation, what this does without error is point us perfectly to Jesus. That's what it does. And so they say if Jesus is God's Word, then the Bible is not. Okay? Because the Bible is outdated. I mean, you got guys that wrote it 2,000 years ago. Let me tell you something about the Bible. It was 66 books written by 40 men over the course of 2,000 years on three different continents. And they quote one another regularly. And it is a perfect, cohesive argument from the beginning to the end, all pointing to Jesus Christ without fail. It's the most beautiful thing that's ever been written. It's the most beautiful thing that's ever been written. And even when many critics point out to the Bible and say, well, that's an error. You see that? I promise you I could probably show you why it's not an error and why it actually makes the Bible more beautiful than they realize. Everything that's in there is there on purpose. We believe that it's inspired by God. But they said if Jesus is God's word, the Bible is not. And really the reason they say that is because they don't like what the Bible says. May amen me, right? We so, so they say we should use Jesus to criticize the Bible. Yeah, okay. We may even have to criticize the Bible's presentation of Jesus in light of the spirit of Jesus. And then lastly, I determine which text in the Gospels demonstrate the true spirit of Jesus. In other words, what people do is if they don't like something the Bible says, they say, you know what, Jesus wouldn't really be like that. Jesus is not like that. And they end up making their own Jesus that is really just a product of their own cultural formation. They've been conformed by the world. They think Jesus would be there. I, I don't know if I... It, let me put it to you in simple terms. I'm going to put cookies on the bottom shelf again. When I first started reading the Bible, I was still doing drugs. I was still getting drunk. I was still chasing women. I was still doing all those things. And when I sat down with my buddies to light up a doobie at the end of the day, when we talked about the Word of God, I would sit there and hypothesize and philosophize about all the things that Jesus was. And when I talked about Jesus, what Jesus really was, was He was just like me. I made an idol. I made God to look like me. I made God to like the things that I like. I made God to dislike the things that I dislike. But ultimately, there came a point when I realized, you know what? If I follow what I like and what I want, you know what it's going to do? It's going to destroy my life. And I submitted myself to God's Word. And I said, you know what? I'm no longer going to line my, let the Word of God line up with what I like. I'm going to line myself up with what the Word of God is, says. 
Let me tell you something. There's a lot of things that I'd rather just go with the flow and not offend anybody because I'm not a very confrontational person. But when I know that the Word of God is truth, that's what I'm going to stick with at the end of the day. Here's what Jesus says about the Bible. Here's what Jesus says about the Bible. John 10.35. Because some people will say, well, you know, we don't need the Old Testament anymore. It's outdated. We've got Jesus now. But here's what Jesus says about the Old Testament. He says, if He called them gods to whom the Word of God came and the Scripture cannot be broken. Jesus quoted the Old Testament over and over and over again. Now don't get me wrong, when we read the Old Testament, there's some things in there that are difficult to understand. I get it. But you've got to understand that you cannot know what the new covenant is unless you first go through the old covenant. The Old Testament is the story that brings us to Jesus. And if you don't have the Old Testament, you don't realize that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. You just think that Jesus is a dude who showed up on the scene to say... I love you. You're good. Don't worry about it. It's all good. No, he had to go through this Old Testament process for you to realize you are a sinner. You are broken. You have sinned against the Holy God and you are in need of a Savior. And this remains the gospel message. And when you take that off, it's no longer the gospel. Until people realize that, man, I am broken. I am a sinner. I've sinned against God. Until they realize that, your belief in Jesus does nothing until it brings you to the point of that brokenness where you say, I need to repent because I've sinned against God. Amen. Y'all with me? I know this is a little bit more difficult, but this is something that we have to hear. So he says, it's the Word of God. He gives it two labels. He says, the Scripture is the Word of God. This means that it did not originate with man. This means that it came from a divine source. And then he calls it the Scripture. The Scripture is a limiting term. What Scripture means is this. God said a whole lot of things throughout, throughout history. He has. But Scripture is what He said, I want this on paper so my people can hold it and read it and it will be the written Word of God. You can't add to it. You can't take anything away from it. It is the Scripture. And let me tell you something. Jesus says this, it cannot be broken. I want you to say this. Say, Scripture cannot be broken. Sometimes you need to say that to the devil, man. The Scripture cannot be broken. It's the Word of God. And let me tell you something. It is completely authoritative in my life. And let me tell you something. That whatever was written in the Scripture, it is going to come to pass. You will watch it come to pass right before your very eyes because it is the truth. It is the living Word of God. And see, Scripture says that. In, in 2 Peter uh, 1, verse 20 and 21, it says that knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So let me say this to you. The, la the last point, I think, in this one is, is the last foundation is feelings. So we, you don't want to build on pop culture, right? You don't want to build on reason, you don't want to build on tradition, and you don't want to build on your feelings, and this is probably the worst thing that you can build on, because let me tell you something, I don't know if you realize this or not, but sometimes, I woke up this morning, I didn't feel that great, you know what I'm saying, I was tired, I didn't get enough sleep, that, and if I went based on my feelings, I probably would have made bad decisions. You can't go based on your feelings. Probably the saddest book in all of Scripture is the book of Judges. And they lived in a time when it was so chaotic because nobody would obey God. They went through this process where they would hear the Word of God, then they would rebel against it. They would hear the Word of God, and then they would rebel against it. And by the time you get midway through the book, God no longer speaks. You know there's a place in a human being's life where they continue to say no to the Lord so long that they no longer hear the voice of the Lord. They're no longer hearing what He has to say. 
And God in His mercy, man, He'll, he'll, let you, he'll give you another opportunity to listen, to turn one more time. But see, in the book of Judges, they got to a place where they no longer heard the voice of God. And the very last verse says this, At that time there was no king in Israel, and people, people did whatever they felt like doing. We live in a world where people do whatever they feel like doing. And let me ask you this. Are people getting smarter? People say, well, yeah, absolutely. Man, people are getting brilliant. How's that working out for our world? People are becoming so wise, professing to be wise, the Scripture says they're becoming fools because they are rejecting God's Word and what it has to say. So let me give you a couple questions that people ask. People say, well, what do I do when I don't understand something? Let me tell you something. Just like I said in the beginning, when you read God's Word, know this. You're not going to understand everything. God is God and you're not. So when you open it, don't expect to understand everything, but trust the process. Piece by piece, God is going to give you the understanding of what you need to hear when you need to hear it. Like for when I first opened the Bible, I had no idea what it was saying. But then I remember reading a verse where it says that, uh, you know, people, uh, fornicators and drunkards shall not inherit the kingdom of heaven. I understood that one. Praise God. Huh? That made good sense to me. But there was a growth process where all of these things started to make sense to me. They started to unravel. And I asked the Holy Spirit, I cannot tell you the number of times I would write down my questions and I would say, God, I don't know what that means. And I kid you not, within a week, sometimes within a day, sometimes almost instantly, sometimes six months down the road, whether it come through a teacher or through a book or through something that somebody says, God would give me the understanding because I asked him for it. And so you need to trust the process. Just because you don't understand it doesn't mean that you need to lay it down. God is feeding your spirit. Second question is, what do I do when I understand it, but I don't like it? Anybody been in that situation? I understand what this is saying, but I don't like it. And it's just like I said, we cannot get to a place. Listen, if God is God and I believe he's actually God, if you confess that God is who he says that he is, I guarantee you that he's a little bit smarter than you are. He probably knows how to run your life better than you know how to run it. And so if I were you, I would do kind of what I did. I took a leap and I said, you know what? This don't feel right to me. I'd rather do this. This is what my friends are saying. But at the end of the day, this is what Scripture says, and I'm going to obey it. I'm going to, I'm going to match my life to God's Word rather than matching God's Word to my life. And when I did, guess what? When I decided to obey, everything opened up in my life. Everything changed because on the other side of obedience is understanding. On the other side of you taking a leap of faith and saying, I'm just going to obey it because it's what it says, God. God will give you grace on the other end of that and he will transform your life through it. So let me, let me try to make this simple for you. Number two, you've got to make it first in your daily life. In your daily life, you've got to make it first. So, you know, Scripture says, Matthew 6, everybody knows it. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and everything else will be added unto you. He's talking about the things that people worry about, whether or not we're going to have clothes or money or food or the stuff like that. And he's saying, I wish y'all quit worrying about things that I can provide for you. If you would just seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, you would not even have to think about your money and your stuff. You know how often I look at my own personal bank account? Almost never. One, because I got a good wife that does finances good. But the other reason is because I know that God is my provider now. He showed me so many times. And if I seek first his kingdom and his righteousness... He'll add everything to me that I need. So let me put it very simply for you because I'm trying to get people to get hungry for the Word of God. But if you just take the first 15 minutes of your day, so many Christians I meet, if you ask them how their prayer life is going, you know, it's, it's not that great, et cetera, et cetera. I get it. We're busy. Things are going on. But you can do this. Take your first 15 minutes every day. Try this out. 
take your first five minutes and get it in the Word. Open up the Bible. You can do a one-year Bible plan like I told you about. There's all kinds of apps. My buddy Richard, he's got like 50 guys on a Bible app plan where they just read certain scriptures every day, do a little devotion. It takes you definitely no more than five minutes. There are ways. Listen, even if you say, well, I just can't read that much. If you were just to read one verse a day, it would be better than nothing for me from my perspective. Just one verse a day. You've got to figure out a way to get in the scripture regularly. Take your first five minutes. Read a psalm. Read some Proverbs. Start reading through books of the New Testament. Open it up. Spend five minutes in the Word. The Scripture says in Psalm 119, 105, Your Word is a lamp for my feet, a light for my path. If you wake up every morning and take your first five minutes get in the Word, I guarantee you, you're going to have light that shines forward on your day. You're going to have wisdom for that day. Amen? Second five minutes. All right, if I'm taking five... Take the second five minutes in worship. I know this is weird for you all, but like we, be, we believe in the power of worship here at this church. Like we, if I didn't believe in the power of worship, I would tell these singers and musicians to sit down if I didn't believe in. But, what, but here's the other thing. They're not here to entertain you. You realize that? I told somebody the other day, I said, you know, when we leave church and what people take away from it is, man, those are some really good singers. We're not yet in worship. What you need to do is, yeah, thank God that they can sing. Thank God they can play beautifully. Man, we got the most awesome worship team. Don't we? Yeah, they're amazing. They're, they're amazing. I agree. They're amazing. But what their goal is, their goal is to lead you into a place of worship where you're no longer thinking about the person who's singing the song. You're thinking about the one who gave us the song in the first place. And you're lost in worship of Him. Let me tell you something. Take five minutes. Put one song on. One of the songs that we play on a Sunday. Put it on. Put it on YouTube. Put it on your phone, whatever. Get on, get on Spotify and get you a worship playlist and begin to just play a song and spend some time singing to the Lord. I guarantee you the presence of God will show up in your bedroom. Your heart will change. Things will happen in your life and all of a sudden you'll feel differently. You'll be ready to tackle the day. And then the scripture says in Psalm 34, 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. When you're driving down the road, I'll give somebody another thing. If you're going to read through the New Testament, that's my first challenge. My second challenge is turn off all other forms of music and stick with worship music for about a month. What you'll find out is you probably end up liking that more than anything else anyway because there's literally a different spirit behind different music. And you can sense, man. Uh, Andrea talks about it all the time. Every now and then I like to listen to different music. I just bring it in. And there's like, you know, I used to love to listen to Led Zeppelin. Anybody out there, you know, talk about, amen, praise God. I mean, best band ever that's existed so far, but but sometimes when I listen to them too long, you know what happens? I feel it in my spirit. It's just different. It's just different. Why? Because it's not exalting God. It's not giving God worship. And then when I go back into worship music, something shifts in my soul, in my spirit, and I begin to focus on God once again. I begin to come into that place. And, and so the last five minutes, you want to spend those five minutes right in prayer. And you just want to come before God. You say, well, I don't know what to pray in Philippians 4, 6, it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So he's saying just come to God, give Him your thanks for all the things that you're thankful for, and present your requests. And here's what he says. If every morning you're going to spend time in the Word, you're going to spend five minutes in worship, then you're going to spend five minutes where you just start thanking the Lord for all He's given you, and then you just pour out your request for the day. He gives you this promise, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When you do that at the start of every day, you've got peace that passes all understanding, guarding your heart, guarding your mind, because you've started your day right. Amen? 
That's very simple, isn't it? We can take that home and actually put that into practice. Number three, let me give you the third thing. So you got to make it grow deeper in your life. You got to make it daily. You got to make it your foundation, but then you got to make it grow deeper. Colossians 3.16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. How y'all like your coffee? Y'all know I like coffee, right? How y'all like your coffee? I like mine strong. I like mine so black that it forms yellow bubbles on the top. And the only way you can do that is if you put like 10 scoops in. You know what I'm saying? Now here's the problem with our scripture and our word life though is we pretty much all of us, we get one scoop a week. We get one scoop. On Sunday morning, man, we come in, we get one scoop. You know when you run the water of the week over that one scoop, what happens? You got a diluted, very light brown kind of coffee that you just soon spit out your mouth. It don't really look that much different than water. And if all you're getting is a Sunday sermon, you don't look much different than the rest of everything else that's going out there. You're slightly different. Don't get me wrong. It helps, but you need a few more scoops of God's Word so that you can become strong and get yellow bubbles up in your spirit. You know what I'm talking about? You need yellow bubbles in your spirit from, from what's going on. You need to let it dwell in you richly because what you listen to on a regular basis, I need, take an evaluation. Take an evaluation. Is, what, is the voice that I'm listening to primarily the Word of God or is it social media or is it some political ideology? What am I listening to the most? Because the Word of God has got to be primary from which I judge everything else. Now, let me give you some practical tips on how you can get, get these yellow bubbles in your spirit, right? Number one, A, get a translation you like, right? Now, I remember, I remember when I first started preaching, my, my pastor told me I had to have King James Version. And you know what? King James Version is awesome. I love it. It's a great translation. But what I found out is, now I, at my house, I got a Hebrew Bible and I got a Greek Bible. I can't read them very well, but I can read them a little bit, okay? But I've got them, and what I found out is this. There are no translations that are perfect. The King James Version, get, I know this is going to hurt some of you, tradition, it ain't perfect. It's not even the best translation. Oh, man, somebody shocked back there. <laughs> oh, somebody threw a tomato right there, you know. It's not even the best translation. It's a good one, but let me tell you something. If you give that to somebody, a young person, they ain't going to know what's going on in the King James Version. It's written in 1611 English. It was the first translation from the original manuscripts into English, and it was done in 1611. It's a good translation. It's word for word, but it's not the best. Let me tell you something. Jesus was not English. He wasn't. And Shakespeare was not his best friend. Like, so, 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 so there are other good translations. You don't have to stick to that one. But let me give you three types of translations so you can understand this because people ask me all the time. The first type is, is a formal equivalency, okay? This is exact word-for-word -word translation from the original text. Now, what these are, you have your King James Version, your New King James Version. What we use most of the time is the New King James Version. You want to know why? Because when I started preaching, I memorized everything in the King James Version. I just did. I preached out of it. I, I, I used the King James Version. The pages fell out of the book. And then I had to buy me a new one that was actually a nicer Bible so it would hold together. So now I use New King James Version because you can understand it, and that's where I got my stuff memorized. That's how it works. Probably not the best translation, but I go with it. NASB, it's word for word. It's the most literal translation that you can possibly have, okay? It's a good translation. ESV is somewhere around the same way, but it's word for word. Secondly, you have functional equivalency. Now, this is more thought by thought. 
NIV fits into this one. NIV is like the Bible that it's, it's the most sold Bible ever in the history. It surpassed King James Version. There were 100 translators that worked on this Bible. And it's somewhere right in the middle. And so here's the difference. So you say, well, shouldn't it be word for word? Well, see, when you translate like one language to another language, the problem is, is no language really translates word for word. So they take the sentence and they translate it to say this is how it's going to be best spoken in current English. And then finally you have paraphrases where they just basically reword the translation in funny ways. Let me give, let me give you a few examples. Y'all still good? I'm taking my time this morning. I know we're going to go a little bit past 12, but y'all going to be all right, ain't you? Praise God. We're just having fun. It's the house of God, y'all. Let's have fun this morning. You know what I'm saying? All right, Psalms 1-1, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. The King James Version gives you a lisp. Like, it's awesome, right? Nor standeth in the way of, of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Right? There's your King James. NIV, right? Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of, uh, that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. So NIV just cleans it up for your, your modern reader. Then finally, notice this. Notice the message. How well God must like you. You don't hang out at Sin Saloon. You don't slink along Dead End Road. You don't go to Smart Mouth College. Anybody go to Smart Mouth College? Some of y'all go to Smart Mouth College. So I'm going to give you a Bible tip right here. Here's what I do. I study the Bible in a formal equivalency. I study the Bible in an ESV or a New King James Version. I think it's good to have one of those because they're the most accurate. If you're going to go in the middle one, the New Living Translation is good. We gave somebody a New Living Translation this morning. It's good. Uh, NIV is good. Those are, those are fine. I think you've got to find what suits you best. And from your average reader, if you're going to just read and you want to read the Bible, you need to go in that middle section where the NIV is probably the New Living Translation. But then on those last ones, the Message, the Passion Translation, those probably I would not consider the Word of God. What I would consider them is a commentary. Sometimes I use them. Sometimes I use them in addition. And sometimes they get it pretty close, but don't use it as your regular Bible. Use it in addition to your regular Bible. Okay, that's my Bible tip for today. Y'all good with that? Point is, get you one. Read that sucker and enjoy it. So B, get you a study Bible. Just like I said before, get you, get you something that you can sit down with. There's, 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 a, there's life application study Bible. We handed somebody a, a new spirit-filled life study Bible. We handed somebody an ESV study Bible. All those are good, but you need something that's going to help you study the Bible a little bit more. And C, get in a small group. We got small groups coming up. Like I told you at the beginning, they're going to be going for 16 weeks. You read the Bible. See, here's the thing. If you just read the Bible but don't ever get to actually discuss it with somebody, you're going to miss everything that God has for you. You need to be able to discuss the Word of God with somebody. Number four, I'm finishing up. Make the Word of God a weapon for life's battles. And this is probably the truest thing. I'm telling you, this statement right here. How many battles I've been in when God has given me a word for the moment to set me free to change my life. The scripture says that, listen, we, we, we are in a literal warfare. In Ephesians 6, 13, it talks about putting on the entire, the whole armor of God so that you'll be able to stand in the evil day. You're going to have some evil days where the devil comes out against you. He tempts you. He attacks you. He brings fear. He brings anxiety. He brings all of those things. But see, the one offensive weapon is it says, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. 
You remember when Jesus was tempted by Satan and Satan came out and he said, look, if, if, if you be the Son of God, first off, he makes him doubt God's Word, which is what he wants to do in your life. He wants you to doubt God's Word and question it. But then he says, if you be the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. He gives him three temptations. And each time Jesus responds to him, what does he do? He pulls the sword of the Spirit and he says, it is written. He quotes Scripture each time. What does that mean? You need to memorize Scripture. D, my last point. You need to get in the Word of God. You need to memorize Scriptures. And when you're going through struggles in life at the right time, the Holy Spirit will allow you to pull the sword of the Spirit. Man, when you're going through sickness and battling, you can, sing, you can begin to preach Psalm 103 to the devil in your mind. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of His benefits, who forgives me of all of my iniquities and heals me from all of my diseases. He redeems my life from the pit. He crowns me with loving kindness and tender mercy, and He restores my youth like the eagles. I begin to speak that to the devil. I let him know. I speak the word of God out of my mouth. Whenever I get fearful, I say, you know what, Satan? God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Psalm 27, 1, right? The, 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 the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? I start worrying about protection. I go to Psalm 91, that he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, right? He's going to protect me. We have these scriptures one after another. You start to worry about financial difficulty, right? Philippians 4, 4.19, My God shall supply all of your need according to His riches in glory. You've got that scripture in you so that when trials come, guess what? The Holy Spirit pulls it out. The Holy Spirit pulls it out. You've got to get the Word of God in you, folks. I'm telling you, if there's one thing that I could get you to do this year, it would be to make a Bible resolution and say, you know what, I'm going to get me a Bible. I'm going to carry that thing where I go. I'm going to make it the foundation of my life. I'm going to use it as a weapon in, in, in hard times. And when it comes to how I address the world around me and the things that people believe, we're not going anywhere else. We're not seeing what the Ph.D. professor over here at, at this university is saying. We're seeing what the Word of God says on these issues. I'm fine with listening to other people's arguments. But I draw a line when it crosses the Word of God. I believe it has all authority. And it has authority over my life, and I've got to submit to it. And you need to value it. And you've got to ask yourself right now, where, where are you at? Where are you at with the Lord? Like, where's your relationship at with Him? I know most of you, almost everybody that comes into the building on a Sunday morning, even if they're new, almost everybody would say, you know what, I'm saved, I'm saved. I pray to God that you are. But listen, develop that relationship with God. If you're not saved, you can give your life to Jesus this morning. The Scripture makes it very plain. We'll go to the Scripture when it comes to salvation. He says, if you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ essentially died on the cross for your sins and He was raised from the dead and you confess Him with your mouth that He is Lord, you shall be saved. You can turn from your sins. You can confess Jesus is Lord. You can receive that salvation this morning. And let me tell you something, folks. This world, if you look at it, it is folding up. Jesus is coming soon. And we want to be ready. But until He comes, guess what? We've got a solid and firm foundation to live on that will absolutely transform our lives, that will keep us rooted and grounded. And this is something, this is a first thing right here. The Word of God is a first thing in your life. And you've got to make a resolution right now. When you leave here today, I don't want you to just hear this message and say that was a decent message, wasn't as good as last week's. I want you to say, what did the message say? It said, i got to put this first in my life. And if I do, if I treat it as God's Word, it's going to change who I am. Amen. Won't you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word.
Lord, I pray that this, this message, your word, would take deep root in our hearts because, Lord God, we need your truth now more than we ever have. And, Lord, we just need, we need a renewed love and a passion for your word. God, I remember praying one time when I was younger when I just said, Lord, I, I, want a, I want a hunger and I want a thirst for your word. I want a passion for your word like I've never had. And I pray that over each individual this morning, God, that you would just give them a hunger and a passion for your word, Lord God, that you would help them to understand it, that you would give them the ability to dive into it, Lord God, and that you would open their eyes to the scripture. Lord, give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of who you are, God. When they open the Bible, Jesus, reveal yourself to them. Come and make your home with them. And for those of you this morning that are still praying with me and you say, today's the day I want to make a step. I want to give my life to Jesus. I want you to just lift your hand. Let me see you. See you where you're at. Anybody, I want to give my life to Jesus today. I want to start that journey with him. I want to make sure that I'm on that path. Anybody at all? All right, praise God. So right now, I just want you to let the Lord deal with you. We're going to worship just for a moment.